Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Good afternoon, you sons of bitches. Uh, we're supposed to wait a little while before we swear in these videos. Um, it's better for the YouTube algorithm. Yeah, but fuck that. Uh, today's episode is called The Iron Triangle, which is not uh, a sex move. Should be. Yeah, it should, well, we'll figure one out for it, but um, <clears throat> The Iron Triangle is a term that's used to describe the relationship between... Um, the legislative branch of any particular government, um, the federal bureaucracy therein, so the uh, uh, executive branch, I guess, but not at the top level, but the th- think of the departments of government, basically. Yeah, pretty much any of the agencies that, well, I mean, all the agencies yeah. are run by non-elected officials. Right. Uh, and then, of course, special interest groups, and in this case, typically that means the private sector. Um, and for today, we're going to talk about one particular portion of the private sector, which is the military industrial complex, uh, which you're all familiar with. Uh, the term I believe was coined by Dwight Eisenhower, the last conservative to ever be president of the United States. So, um, just for some background on this. Like it, the United States system of government is based on English common law, and English common law is based kind of loosely. Like they went through the same feudalism that Rome did, um, <clears throat> which is pretty common to go from empire to feudalism and then to some form of representative republic or democracy or something like that yeah eventually the people at the bottom get sick of everybody else's shit and rise up but uh we can all we can trace the way we think about things intellectually back to greece and we can trace how we form governments in the west back to rome so for some context uh let's talk about the two triumvirates in rome yeah so i when I was putting this episode together, the first thing that popped in my head once I started reading about the the Iron Triangle in relation to the military-industrial right. complex was it's just a more modern, excessively complicated version of the the old Roman triumvirates. Yeah, I mean, it, you, it, in that in that scenario, the different functions of government—not necessarily departments, but the different functions of government—were kind of embodied by one of these three leaders. Right. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> so yeah, just yeah, read that. Near the end of the Roman Republic, three of the most powerful politicians in Rome, Julius Caesar, Pompey the Great, and Marcus Crassus, formed a secret alliance called the First Triumvirate. 
Similar to the U.S. government, the Roman Republic had a system of checks and balances meant to prevent any single person from gaining too much power. They were trying to prevent themselves from returning to a monarchy. The three men used their respective influence to help push forward the political agendas of the other members of the triumvirate, effectively bypassing the measures put in place by the Roman Senate. Although initially successful, the alliance ultimately set the stage for the collapse of the Republic and the rise of the Roman Empire. Following the assassination of Julius Caesar, the second triumvirate was formed, consisting of Caesar's adopted son Octavian, Mark Antony, and Marcus Lepidus. Jealousy and ambition eventually tore apart the second triumvirate, resulting in Octavian becoming the sole ruler of Rome and the first Roman emperor. Well, it was, I mean, it's complicated, right? Lepidus was just kind of a... He had a large army, but was kind of ineffectual for the most part. Yeah, so he, he was, was really just there because he was an old friend of Caesar's, like yeah. an old, old supporter of but Caesar's. But he, he, had, he had a number of legions as well. I think he had seven or eight legions of his own. I'm not sure. Uh, something like that, yeah. <clears throat> At any rate, um, Lepidus died. I can't remember how he died. But he, he died and kind of just went away, although he would have lost his power eventually anyways. And then uh, Mark Antony was given control of the East, I suppose, yeah. uh, which is to say Egypt. So yeah, and that's he was, when him and Cleopatra had that, that yeah. relationship that ultimately ended with him clashing with Octavian again. Yeah, yeah they started uh, denying food shipments back to Rome and shit like that, and then war, and then he and... He killed himself, I guess. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and as I mentioned before, uh, the United States doesn't... They're controlled by modern versions of this, and two represented by two separate legislative... I'm sorry, two branches of government, which is to say legislative and executive. And then um, the the external force in that scenario, or the third member of that triumvirate, is uh, the private sector. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> for today's purposes, uh, this is the military-industrial complex, as I mentioned before. Dwight Eisenhower warned the country about this during his farewell address. Um, he mentioned the dangers of the military-industrial complex, uh, but it goes way, way deeper than that. So give us some background on the MIC. So the military-industrial complex, or MIC, is the term used to describe the relationship between a country's military and the defense companies that supply it with weapons and equipment. The relationship is mutually beneficial with the military obtaining weapons and the companies producing them being awarded with extremely lucrative contracts, usually worth millions, if not billions of dollars in the long run. And also very frequently, uh, no-bid contracts. Yeah. The concept has grown into a modern-day version of the Roman triumvirates called the Military-Industrial Congressional Complex, also known as the Iron Triangle. The Iron Triangle describes the policy-making relationship between Congress, the bureaucracy, and interest groups which heavily influences the political landscape. And like we were talking about before, the bureaucracy are the... In, American politics, those are the agencies that are run by non-elected officials. Yeah, like the Department of Defense, for example. The first point in the Iron Triangle is the relationship between a special interest group and a member of Congress or Congressional Committee. And it seems like the Congressional Committees are the ones that matter the most. If they can get a good relationship going with a few people on a Congressional Committee, that's going to give them 
much more sway. Well, you've seen how this all works out in real time <laughs> recently. Uh, the committee members have some time with the bill to jockey and get their shit in or debate things. But very frequently, a bill will be given to Congress at like 3 p.m. and then they have a vote on it by 9 p.m. in the same day, right? Like an 800-page bill, which was the Ukraine $40 billion bill. Yeah. They had about six hours to read it, and it was an 800-page bill. I'm surprised that they all stay up that late before they go to bed. Uh, well, they're all on cocaine, according to Madison Cawthorn, so I think they can handle it. Really? No, he, he's that guy's full of shit. The interest group provides electoral support, generally in the form of campaign funds, and in return, the member of Congress influences decisions and drafts legislation that benefits the interest group. From there, the member of Congress supplies additional funding and political favors to the bureaucracy, which in the case of U.S. politics refers to agencies managed by non-elected officials. The bureaucracy repays the member of Congress by supporting their policies and facilitating their execution while also giving special favors and lowering regulations for the interest group. In return, the interest group increases congressional support for the bureaucracy through additional lobbying, which ensures the agency continues to receive funding. The interest groups go on to once again provide funds and electoral support for the members of Congress, starting the cycle all over again. And remember, Congress is... Uh, everybody in Congress runs for re-election every two years, right? Mm. So With no term limits, right? Correct, yeah. So <clears throat> they spend, um, I mean, you, you see how long congressional campaigns just started in May. So May to November, every other year is completely wiped out from the legislative schedule and they spend most of that time campaigning and fundraising. Um, <clears throat> and generally giving themselves raises it seems like uh yeah sure uh it's it's important to know who the constituents of a government agency are so they're not elected we we run into this a lot of times before they're not elected um the uh they are puppets of politicians right so <clears throat> If you think about the relationship between these people, the politician depends on the private sector person for money to get re- money and influence to get reelected, and the bureaucrat requires that the politician allow them to keep their job. Right? Yeah. So everybody is being uh, having pressure applied against them in a in a way that does not actually serve the common good; it only serves their own self interest, and and I and that's all the way up to the. Um, to the private sector model. And I'll give you a scenario. So let's say, let's say there's a war going on between a former superpower and one of its neighbors. And instead of negotiating peace between the two, um, you send tens of billions of dollars worth of weapons. That sounds strangely familiar. Yeah, that seems like a really bad idea to do something like that. And a lot of people are going to die as a result. But that's exactly how it happens. Because Lockheed and Boeing and General Dynamics and all these other fucking companies, they need to sell you their shit. And it's not even like it's collusion or anything. There doesn't have to be an actual conversation about this. 
Members of Congress know that if they don't support these conflicts, then they'll lose support from those companies. They know that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, bureaucrats know that if they don't uh, do whatever Congress tells them to, then they lose their jobs as well. So this has nothing to do with what's right, any any kind of meritocracy uh, being good, as it were. Uh, It's all about keeping the wheel going, making sure certain people get paid and certain people keep power. That's what it's all about. And it seems to be so embedded in government at this point that I don't know if there's realistically any way to stop it outside of a a complete overhaul. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, So the Iron Triangle results in the situation where uh, it's a wheel. Everybody's dependent on each other. Uh, but it boxes out any kind of aberrant thought, which is never good in a meritocracy. And war is the ultimate meritocracy. Um, <clears throat> any any time that a decision is being made about a, a, a conflict or any other, whether whether it's anywhere from poverty to a conflict, and profit motive comes into the discussion then you've lost all credibility in my mind. And that's why I think the U.S. government shouldn't exist anymore in the, in the form that it does. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> there's just, it, it, it's uh, rife with corruption. Um, instead of a snake eating its own tail, it's basically just a circle jerk where these people keep each other in power and keep each other fed and fuck everybody else. Yeah. That's kind of how it works. And the high-level concept breaks down into a couple of smaller triangles, uh, all of which control policies and decisions inside the U.S. government. So get into the web of triangles here. No singular iron triangle runs every aspect of the government. Instead, it is a web of smaller triangles, all of which apply to different industries and government agencies. One example of an iron triangle in action is the relationship between Congress, the bureaucracy, and the American Association of Retired Persons, which I was really surprised to find out. The AARP lobbies against any cuts or changes to Social Security and Medicare, which benefits their members who are individuals over the age of 50. Politicians seeking the support of this group of voters are inclined to propose legislation that's beneficial to the AARP, therefore gaining the support of the AARP's constituency. This creates a triangle between the AARP, Congress, and the Social Security Administration, which is the government agency in charge of both Social Security and Medicare. And this is the case with Ted Cruz, who has received more campaign support from the retired community than any other single industry, which was another thing that I was surprised to to find (laughs) out about, that the majority of his supporters are just retirees. Yeah. Between 2017 and 2022, Cruz received over $11 million in campaign funds from retired uh, retired individuals, vastly overshadowing the amount given by his largest single contributor, which is Berkshire Hathaway. And Berkshire Hathaway popped up a lot on Open Secrets. There was a a handful of different lobbying firms that that represent Berkshire Hathaway. They, They were never near the top of of any given like politicians list of contributors though, but they, they but they're always, on all of them. Yeah. yeah. And that, by the way, Berkshire Hathaway is uh, Warren Buffett. Oh, That's his okay. Company. All right. That makes sense yeah. then. Mitch McConnell is another example of a politician involved in an iron triangle, this time with real estate. 
Similar to Ted Cruz, McConnell's number one contributing industry is the retired community, but the second largest contributor is the real estate industry. McConnell's second largest single contributor is a company called Blackstone Group, which has been purchasing commercial real estate and single-family homes on mm. a large scale for over 10 years. Yeah, they, Black, not to be confused with BlackRock, which is the company that manages thirteen or $11 trillion in assets and keeps doing shady shit but this it, is another shady ass yeah company. it seems like they're sort of the the baby brother to mm-hmm. to blackrock yeah this one so this one is think of this iron triangle as uh the company blackstone as the private contractor mitch mcconnell as the uh legislative representative and then the department of housing and urban development or hud as uh as the uh, uh bureaucratic version so yeah. <clears throat> You can imagine how this works. Ted Cruz or uh, uh, Mitch McConnell are on a committee or voting on something to do with AARP, elderly people, whatever, retirement or Social Security, or uh, the uh, real estate industry, which, you know, the United States Senate has completely fucked uh, a number of times. Well, not just Congress in general. Barney Frank's is largely responsible for all of the uh, uh, the uh, subprime mortgages that were. Oh, bundled. he was. Yes, uh, he he's the, as far as the government goes, he's the number one uh, person to blame for most of that shit. Um, <clears throat> so you can imagine how instead of doing what's best for the country, they will ultimately do what's best for themselves, right? Yeah, because it's it's the only way that they can keep their jobs. Mm-hmm. So instead of fighting for improving the country itself, they're fighting to maintain their positions. So they can the, the role of the legislative part of government is instead of representing the will, of the American people has become simply to propagate its own existence. Yeah, that's it. Um, so, and even more, and, and, and I, I guess more nefarious, more recent example is out of the pharmaceutical iron triangle, the effects of which we've seen during the, uh, the pandemic, if you want to call it that. Uh, <clears throat> pharmaceutical companies lobby for the favor of Congress all the time, and, uh, which in turn influences agencies such as HHS, FDA, CDC. The FDA's budget is 75% paid by private pharmaceutical companies yeah. right, through applications for new drug patents and shit like that. Um, so <clears throat> these agencies in return have reduced regulations, provide special favors, like, I don't know, uh, authorizing the use of certain drugs that clearly are harmful or unnecessary, which, which we've seen quite a bit of over the last yeah, year. Yeah, has happened an insane <clears throat> amount of times. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> you can go to opensecrets.org and just search all of the pharmaceutical companies' names as donors. You can search for what PACs they're involved in and all this stuff. And you can see exactly which members of government are in bed with them. It's not very hard to find. It it seems like they are, if not number one, they are, they are at least in the top three. Well, I'll tell you this Pfizer and Pfizer and uh, Moderna and Johnson and Johnson are all in the top 15 um, of stocks held by members of Congress, all three of those companies. And then, Google Alphabet is one. Facebook is another one. Yeah. And uh, there's also three banks on there. So you, you're, it's starting to come, or starting to become clear how 
all of this works. Now, <clears throat> if we ran our government as intended and people come to Washington for a short time, serve, and then leave, this institutional power where people are in Congress for 40 years um, doesn't exist, right? Mm. So there's no impetus to get reelected. So you don't have to make these kind of compromises. I'm sure there are plenty of people who have gotten into politics with the best intentions and uh, had to forego their intentions. And it, it, people moralize things and people justify like, well, I'm better than the alternative. So I, if I take this, it's okay. And if I do this, it's okay. I'll make it up somewhere else. But that's um, cancer, right? Yeah. And cancer ultimately eats everything in its wake. Um it seems like it's it's essentially people saying, I'm doing the same bad things that everybody else is doing, but I'm doing them for the right reason. So I can stay here and I can I can eventually make a change. But ultimately, they all end up becoming the same pieces of shit. Yeah. I mean, it's like putting uh, a, a rotten apple in the, bu- in the, in the basket. Every, every one of them is going to turn rotten at some point. Um, <clears throat> some of the other obvious iron triangles that exist between Congress and organizations are uh, agricultural businesses and the department of ag. Um, and uh, obviously the politicians that pr- primarily in the Midwest that have that, that are actively paying people to not grow crops to keep market prices down and shit like that. I mean, or, or keep market prices high rather instead of overflow or flooding the market with stuff, which is interesting because we couldn't find baby formula a couple of days ago. Um, timber and mining companies are the same department of interior. And if you wonder why, um, like this one kind of goes both ways, mining companies, mining and, and drilling as well. Um, oil is a big business and the higher you can keep oil prices, the better for these people. Uh, and then from the alternative people who were purchased by the renewable energy sector, which is huge. Now trillions of dollars are being spent over there are actively, I don't know, shutting down pipelines that could have protected us from having to depend on Russia for oil, for example. Like these are the, I want to give people real world examples of how these conflicts play out in real life. Mm -hmm. Uh, The SEC securities and investment companies in the SEC securities and exchange commission, uh, federal reserve and the department of treasury, they manipulate currency all the time. Um, And the one that we're mostly going to focus on today, because I think it's the most salient, is uh, the uh, defense iron triangle, the military-industrial complex, uh, as Eisenhower mentioned in, in when he left office in January of 1961, uh, is undoubtedly influencing the continued contributions to Ukraine and their war with Russia. Um. We are in, we are in a full blown proxy war with Russia right now. Absolutely. So uh, even I mean Crenshaw, that one eyed cunt, has already uh, admitted it. Is like, oh, isn't it a good thing that we can defeat our enemy without risking any soldiers? Like, well, we are risking soldiers and civilians, just not ours, which kind of makes us pussies, to be honest. Yeah. Like, how dare we expect somebody else to fight our war on our behalf when we don't have the courage to go do it ourselves? But then far enough down the line, if, if this continues, it's going to lead to some sort of open conflict. <clears throat> yeah, eventually. So for the military-industrial complex portion of this, we have some really 
specific and concrete examples of how it's played out even just over the last couple of months. So read us into this. Congress recently approved an additional $40 billion in aid for Ukraine, bringing the total amount of assistance to over $54 billion since the conflict with Russia began in February. The funds from the budget have been earmarked for things such as food, health care, economic support, and refugee assistance, but the single largest expenditure is for purchasing uh, weapons and supplies for the Ukrainian military. Yeah, from United States military defense contractors. Yeah. Just to be clear, but yeah, continue. Of the $54 billion in aid sent to Ukraine, over $17 billion has been dedicated to buying weapons and equipment for their military. This is where the first point, point of the Iron Triangle emerges, that being the companies that produce the weapons. And those would be the special mm-hmm. interest groups, the lobbyists that have you know, a, a horse in the race here. There are many other examples to be found, but we will be focusing on the one that is arguably the most profitable. The, these a few specific, uh, specific companies kept showing up over and over mm-hmm. and over again in every rabbit hole that I was going down. And that's Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, uh, like general electric to a, a slightly lesser degree, but Lockheed Martin <laughs> and Raytheon are raking in the cash from yeah. this whole situation. Right well, they now. make, uh, the javelin stinger, uh, that both of those, Weapon systems come from Raytheon and Lockheed Martin. And those are like two of the the most sought after mm-hmm. weapon systems that they need over in Ukraine right now to counteract the armor and the uh, helicopters. Because a Stinger <clears throat> can even take down a fixed wing, can it? Uh, technically, yeah, but it would have to, I mean, you'd have to be a pretty shitty fixed wing pilot to get, <laughs> I, honestly, I think that would be embarrassing to get shot down by one of those. Um, but yeah, anyways, yeah. Among the weapons being supplied to the Ukrainian military are, uh, as Dan just mentioned, the Javelin anti-tank and the Stinger anti-air missile systems, both of which are developed by a combination of Raytheon and Lockheed Martin. So I think it's the Javelin that's produced by a combination of Raytheon and Mm. Lockheed Martin, Mm. and then the Stinger is produced just by Raytheon. Yep. While Raytheon and Lockheed Martin are the primary manufacturers of these missile systems, they have sold licenses to companies in other countries such as Germany and Turkey. Each one of these weapon systems puts money in the pocket of Raytheon and Lockheed Martin, including those produced by other companies due to licensing. So even if they get them from a completely different company, these guys are still mm-hmm. raking in money. The uh, So the numbers that I have they, here... They do that, by the way, too. So um, if... So Turkey is a good example. They're I, they're not a member of the EU. They're uh, typically not a co. They're not always a co-signer <clears throat> to some of the treaties we are. So if there are countries that need weapons that we can't legally sell them to, now Turkey has the license to sell them to there, and they still make money. You see how that works? Really? Yeah. God, that's so fucked up. They're they're basically just subverting uh, international weapons trafficking laws. That's that's what that is. So. So the Javelin costs over $200,000 per unit. I think it's roughly like $240,000 per unit. I think it's $200,000 for the uh, system and then $80,000 per round or something like that. Oh, per missile? Yeah, I think so. Hold on. How much does a Javelin missile? Yeah, when I looked that up, I wasn't sure if that was... Yeah, $78,000 for one missile. Because the base itself is reusable. Yeah. Okay. Yep. 
So it's like they're like the <laughs> Hewlett Packard of yeah. war. Uh, yeah. The Stinger costs roughly $120,000 per unit. And then, again, there's going to be an additional cost for all the missiles, which are going to be the, you know, the ink cartridges that they're continually yeah. going to be Stinger missiles, $40,000. $40,000 per fucking mm-hmm. missile. That's insane. As of March this year, the U.S. and its NATO allies have sent over 2,000 Stingers to Ukraine, along with more than 5,000 Javelins. And I'm assuming that would be a lower number of the actual base system and mm. then thousands of missiles for each one. Yeah, I would imagine so. According to Raytheon CEO Greg Hayes, the company has been having trouble keeping up with the demand for stingers due to the system being scheduled for replacement in 2020, forcing them to redesign obsolete components. And my parents work in their contractors mm. that source supplies for militaries. They don't deal in weapons, but they'll deal in spare parts. Yeah. And the obsolete part market is, it seems like a, a total fucking scam at a certain point where they're going to charge so much extra for these obsolete parts. And I, I have a feeling that this is what the Raytheon CEO was doing at the time is trying to negotiate for more money for these, these stingers because they were going to be obsolete. Yeah, probably. <laughs> So this is the first point of the triangle, but to complete the triangle, the second two points must be connected, which is Congress and the bureaucracy. So the last two points of the triangle, uh, the top two recipients of contributions from lobbyists in 2022 so far are Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Senator John Thune, who serves as the Republican Minority Whip. Chuck Schumer's highest contributing lobbyist firm uh, is a firm called The Group DC, which represents 37 companies in various countries. Among the clients represented by The Group DC is none other than Lockheed Martin, which co-produced the Javelin missile system with Raytheon. Uh, <clears throat> oh, yeah, I've, I've got a note here. So The Group DC also represents Pfizer, 3M, Cisco Systems, and a bunch of other companies that benefited directly from the pandemic yeah 3m makes the the n95 mask yeah um their highest paying client is elevate credit uh and they also represent facebook and bp oil uh big surprise there yeah so i mean this is what you're seeing is massive lobbying firms where the oil industry and the communications industry and the production industry and the pharmaceutical industry and the military industrial industry are, uh, complex are all paying through a cutout directly to politicians. Right. I, I, I how can that fucking be legal? Good question. I don't know. So no, John, just the, the <laughs> series of legal loopholes that they're yeah. jumping through. Yeah. Uh, John Thune, his second highest contributing lobbyist firm is called BGR Group, uh, which represents 173 clients across the globe, globe rather. Uh, one of which is Raytheon. Uh, the specific BGR employee listed as the second highest contributor to John Thune, Joseph Lay, uh, is responsible for managing BGR's account with Raytheon. Just in case John Thune said, "Oh, they manage a lot of accounts," like, no, your top contributor from them is the guy who manages the Raytheon account. Yeah. 
Um, I also thought that it was interesting that the biggest client of BGR Group is OAO Gazprom, which is a Russian oil company that's lobbying for the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. (laughs) And from what I remember, they also represent the government of Azerbaijan. Mm. They represent Bahrain, a bunch of other governments. Well, those are cool. Throughout the world. All right, Coop, give me a minute. Let me do some ads right quick. We'll get back into this. Right now, GhostBed is offering 40% off GhostBed bundles where you get a mattress and an adjustable base for everything else, 30% off. Use the code DRINKINGBROS at ghostbed.com forward slash DRINKINGBROS. GhostBed's been a loyal sponsor with us for a long time now, five years, I think, Jesus. Uh, And the reason is because... They make the best goddamn mattresses in the world. Super comfortable, lasts forever. They got a 20 to 25 year warranty. You can even try it out for 101 nights uh, uh, and send it back if you don't like it. No hard feelings. One of the things we like most about it as we're getting into the summer months is that it is uh, each one of their mattresses have cooling technology. Um, <clears throat> if you're a big sweaty bastard like we are, uh, you're definitely going to want that. They get the best sheets, best pillows. Uh, everything is great at ghostbed.com and let's get back to that bundle deal now if you're going to buy a mattress you can pick one of the four mattresses you can get the adjustable base and then everything else you add uh cooling pillows the sheets um uh the weighted blanket all that stuff 40 percent off of that whole order so uh you, you definitely want to take advantage of that if you're looking to fill out your bedroom suite if you just need one of the other items again 30 percent off use the code drinking bros at ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros uh, next up, we got Lucy Gum. Lucy Gum. Uh, Flip Flop guy stole some of my stuff yesterday, so I had to get some more. Um, look, we're all adults here. I know some of us choose to use nicotine to relax, focus, or just unwind after a long day. Lucy is a modern oral nicotine company that makes nicotine gum, lozenges, and pouches for adults who are looking for the best, most responsible way to consume their nicotine. It's a new year. Why not start it out by switching to a new nicotine product that you can feel good about? Um, you know, we, we've, I, I like the cinnamon one, uh, but a, a bunch of people are trying to talk me into mango. I've never been a big fan of mango flavor uh, in general, but maybe I'll try it out. I don't know. I like fruity stuff. So uh, they got mango, wintergreen, and cinnamon. Cinnamon's my favorite. Uh, if you enjoy using nicotine, you should definitely check out Lucy's at lucy.co. That's L-U-C-Y dot C-O. Use the promo code American at checkout. Uh, also, I have to read this disclaimer. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Remember, if you're interested in a better way to use nicotine, visit lucy.co. Be sure to use that promo code American so you can get that deal. Those definitely people that care about like human beings and shit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> America especially. Um, yeah, and then BGR Group also represents 30 pharmaceutical companies and healthcare companies. Um, the single largest concentration of a specific industry for BGR Group is pharmaceutical yeah. companies. I have a yeah. feeling that if you look through <clears throat> the clients of a lot of these lobbying firms, that's going to be the case for a lot of them. Yeah, 100%. Um, Chuck Schumer, John Thune are the top recipients of these contributions, but they're far from the only ones. Um, they've had their palms uh, that have had their palms greased by these weapons manufacturers in april of this year lockheed martin donated to the campaigns of nearly 150 members of congress uh spending two hundred fifty thousand dollars. that's directly yeah not including what they gave to pat political action committees and all this other shit um 
five members of Congress who received uh, contributions from Lockheed Martin's PAC serve on the Senate Arm Senate Senate's Committee on Armed Services. Dan Sullivan, Richard Blumenthal, Joe Manchin, Tammy Duckworth, and Mark Kelly. Like, how can it possibly be legal that a weapons manufacturing company can give money directly to people who sit on the Armed Services Committee? It's ridiculous to think that that that's not going to have any sort of influence on the decisions that they make, considering the fact that they are relying on these companies to fund the campaign so they can keep their jobs. Yeah, I mean, it's absolute fucking nonsense. Um, all right, so <clears throat> each one of these uh, aforementioned assholes um, also sits on uh, uh, subcommittees. So the subcommittee on air land, Tammy Duckworth is the, the chair. Joe Manchin and Mark Kelly are on that. Subcommittee on Cybersecurity, uh, Joe Manchin is the chair of that. Subcommittee on Emerging Threats and Capabilities, Mark Kelly is the chair of that. So you're talking about leaders. Not only are they members of the Senate, they are members of the committee and they are leaders of the subcommittee. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it's not like the the Nuremberg shit, like I'm just following orders or I'm just doing what everybody else. No, you're a leader. You're you're, you're like a triple volunteer basically at this point. Um, the subcommittee on emerging threats and capabilities is notable, uh, due to it being responsible for overseeing the sales of us military technology and equipment to foreign countries. Oh no. Big surprise there. I wonder who's deciding where all this money's going that we're sending to Ukraine. Yeah. So the chair of that subcommittee, Mark Kelly is a direct recipient of money from Lockheed Martin, who makes the most commonly outsourced weapon platform that we send abroad right now. Sweet. No conflict of interest there. Lockheed Martin. Excuse me. The Lockheed Martin PAC also donated to the campaigns of 27 members of the House uh, Committee on Armed Services. And there's only, uh, I believe, how many members are there? Uh, I think the House Committee has, the House Committee definitely has more than the Senate Committee. Um, I mean, it might only be like, like 30 fucking people. It's 59. 59 people there out of, so 27 of the 59 take money directly from Lockheed Martin. Almost half of the committee is mm-hmm. taking money from Lockheed Martin. Sweet. Um, the chairman is Adam Smith of Washington. You hear his name from time to time accusing anybody that doesn't agree with uh, sending money and weapons to Ukraine as a Russian sympathizer. But in the meantime, he's literally being paid by Lockheed Martin to say that. Um, <clears throat> the Senate and House Committee on Armed Services are both responsible for legislative oversight of the Department of Defense as well, along with military research and development. Uh, another black hole of appropriations, uh, R&D, like DARPA and shit like that, that funnels money outward into all these... Uh, into all these companies. And that's the final connection that closes off the triangle in this situation is that's the bureaucracy, the mm-hmm. agency that, that finishes off the, the triangle. Yeah. 40% of this money that was earmarked for, um, earmarked for, uh, Ukraine goes directly to the department of defense. Fuck. Um, <clears throat> At the time that Lockheed Martin made these donations, lawmakers were discussing more than 10 bills 
related to Ukraine. And less than a month later, the Senate approved the $40 billion humanitarian and military support package. Um, very short on the humanitarian part of that, by the way. Surprisingly it's, short. Yeah, primarily it is military equipment. Um, <clears throat> around the same time the aid package was approved, Lockheed Martin and Raytheon announced their new, uh, their jointly produced Javelin missile system had been awarded two contracts worth $309 million in the U.S. Army. So Lockheed Martin and directly and its executives and then its PAC and then whatever lobbying firm represents them, all four of those entities pay members of Congress to do what? And the result is $300 million worth of contracts. Just to be clear what's happening here. So the previous examples are far from the only instance of weapons manufacturers lobbying for the favor of government officials. In the first quarter of 2022 alone, Lockheed Martin spent $3.3 million on federal-level lobbying efforts. As we've discussed before, contributions from lobbyists aren't the only way that government officials profit from their position and their relationship with powerful companies. At least 20 members of Congress own stock in Lockheed Martin, many of whom purchased the shares immediately after the Russian uh, invasion of Ukraine began, which has to be one of the most morally bankrupt things I can Mm -hmm. think of anybody doing, where they're not looking at it as a crisis or an existential threat. They're looking at it as an opportunity to make money. Correct. So as soon as they see this shit happening, they go and buy up stocks in the companies that they know are going to make money off of Mm -hmm. it, which is the same thing that happened with the pandemic. Yeah, a lot of people did that right before COVID. They dumped stocks that they knew were going to tank, and they bought stocks that they knew were going to go up. And an investigation was done, and nothing happened. It's like, oh, man, those guys are assholes. Anyways, uh we need well, to send $40 billion to Ukraine really quick. Yeah, Congress is pretty much tasked with policing themselves. Yeah. And how how much of a slap on the wrist does anybody really think that they're going to give themselves for the shit that they're doing? That's the way that they're they're becoming multi-millionaires off of this shit. Yeah, uh, yeah so... <clears throat> John Rutherford was a, a singularly big piece of shit in this whole situation because he bought stock in uh i think it was lockheed martin uh no he, he bought stock in raytheon the exact day that the russian invasion began <laughs> the same fucking day and he sits on the house appropriations committee which is in charge of the federal government spending so regardless of what happens in the military committees before any money gets appropriated it has to go through him Sweet. Um, All these campaign contributions combined with the stock investments made by members of Congress ultimately creates a situation where our representatives are more beholden to industry titans than they are to the people of the United States. And it's not just about the United States. People in Ukraine are... This is like fucking... It's like Game of Thrones or some shit where... Zelensky is fighting for land in the east of Ukraine that is occupied primarily by Russians. And I don't mean Russian military, I mean like Russian people that speak Russian live there. Ethnic Russians. Right. 
and he's enlisting the entire world to try to fight this battle for him. And because people don't particularly care for Russia and don't want to see them return to any kind of level of power, uh, they're willing to sacrifice uh, our tax dollars, but more importantly, Ukrainian lives. Mm-hmm. And that's not even the financial element. Like all of that is happening and that's sick enough. But then you're like, well, I may as well make a buck while we're here. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like uh, somebody, uh, it's like, so, like somebody selling umbrellas at 9-11 to make sure you don't get hit with the fucking shit that's <laughs> falling down. You know what I mean? Like how big of a piece of shit exactly do you intend on being? For fuck's sake. Uh, we talk a lot about getting money out of politics. I don't see, I, I will, I'll never believe in the American system of government so long as this is the way they do business. Like why, why would you have any faith or trust in an organization like this? I was confused about why this is actually allowed in the government. And I, I was under the impression that this was something fairly new, at least within the last, you know, 60, 70 years. But from my research, it turns out that it was uh, a feature put in there by the founding fathers, not a bug because they wanted to, it's essentially lobbying as part of the first amendment amendments, mm-hmm. it, you know, your, your freedom to uh, petition the government, but it's turned into a business at this point. That's worth, I think like $3.5 billion per year. And not only that, I think it was the, uh, in 2012, it was like 50 members of Congress transitioned into becoming lobbyists so they can continue making money off of the exact same things. And this all comes from citizens United. Uh, I don't know. Well, it's, it's been around forever for sure. Like the first, we see this in a lot of industries. Um, Private militaries existed back in the day. And that's a, that's kind of a carryover from feudalism. Um, But if you think about, security in general in the United States, it was primarily a private function until the late 19th century, right? So mm-hmm. <clears throat> once trains became the primary means of uh, transportation, particularly mm-hmm. of, of goods like uh, uh, gold and silver and, and anything else, even high-profile dignitaries, uh, the Pinkerton Agency who were kind of built off the experience of um, kind of like uh, uh, Wyatt Earp, where, you know, everybody was kind of an asshole. Some people just had badges. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, So they got a lot of experience in the various wars out West, whether it was Native Americans or the Spanish or whomever we were fighting out there at the time and policing towns later on towards the middle of the 19th century and then, you know, carrying over into the Civil War and shit like that. And they became the primary security apparatus, right? So there may have been... uh, You you can actually see some of this, too, in uh, Peaky Blinders. So there there may have been constables or some lower-level police force, but security for private businesses and things like that in neighborhoods. It was almost more like cuffs where, you know, there were private police or the alternative was 
the mob, right, or just organized crime in general would provide protection for you. It was formalized into public, publicly, public sector policing sometime in the late 19th century, but that was a relatively new thing. <clears throat> and uh, the same thing happened with the railroads being built in the first place, right? That was a marriage between private sector and the government. Um, but mostly what it had been back in the day was people who were in power and politics or whatever would just make sure their own business is profited, right? The same way it's been going on for thousands of years, right? Anybody that was in power made sure that they got paid for being in power. Um, and then people were like, well, that doesn't seem right. So they started using cutouts, right? And it goes on today in a variety of different ways. I can't imagine why anybody would have any faith in this system of government at all. And it, and it kind of culminated with um, Citizens United. I don't remember if, if you recall uh, Mitt Romney. Corporations are people, my friend. Oh, remember that one? yeah. And here we are now. Like, since then, that was, what, 2012 when he was running against Obama, and they were lighting him up for that, and he was like, corporations are people, my friend. Like, the point he was trying to make is what you said, which is it's the First Amendment. But there's no such thing as absolutism, even with constitutional rights. You can't yell fire in a crowded movie theater, for example. And you also shouldn't be able to use your power and influence in a way that disabuses other people of their representation in fucking government. Yeah. And that is exactly what this entire system is set up to do. So I... I from my understanding, the initial intent of allowing lobbying was so no singular special interest group could garner too much power. Everybody would have equal access, <clears throat> but now it's gotten to the point where it's, it's literally just turned into another business. It's mm -hmm. another source of income for the people that are in positions of power. I'm primarily Congress. Yeah. I mean, think about the secretary of defense, Lloyd Austin. He retired from the military and he went to work for Raytheon, where he still owns at least $300,000 worth of stock, so far as I know. Um, he left the company, became the Secretary of Defense, said that there was no conflict of interest. And then about a month later, they were awarded a contract that they were not going to be awarded previously. Uh, I, I've done a show on this before. So it's not just elected officials. It's people coming out of the Department of Defense as well. It's people coming out of the... Uh, <clears throat> the domestic surveillance agencies like NSA and, and CIA and shit like that. All these motherfuckers are doing it. Um, and it is, it, it's not anymore the case that, so let, let me put it this way. You have a basket of apples. One of them's rotten. You don't notice it at first and it gets a couple more rotten. You're able to go in, pull out the rotten ones and then move on with your day. If you wait too long, then the entire basket is fucked. And I believe we are there now. I, I think this system of government in the United States is uh, completely fucked and that we need a new form of government. And I, I'm not sure what it is. Uh, but it's not this. It's certainly not this. It's not, it's not a pay-to-play kind of situation. Like we, We've been so concerned with communism that we didn't pay enough attention to corporatism, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, and, and if anybody thinks that one is a solution 
to do away with the other, then they're fucking stupid because they're two uh, sides of the same turd. Do you think there's any way for a large scale government to actually exist without no corruption like this? Not really. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, the problem is so accountability is the ultimate issue here, right? And how do you how can you hold an organization that large accountable? It, it it's it's mission creep. It's bureaucratic bloat. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like over time, the amount of time and resources it takes to monitor the actions of these large bureaucracies becomes, it, it defeats the purpose. Like the bureaucracy that exists is because I don't want to have to go pave the roads myself, right? I don't want to have to do a lot of these things that we want government to do on our behalf, not for us, but on our behalf, which is mm-hmm. not the same thing, by the way. Like doing it for us means... that that's their responsibility on our behalf means that it's our responsibility to tell them what to do. And it's their job to do it. That's a, there's a very clear distinction between those two things. And, um, that is the, that's the point of allowing a a a government to exist, uh, is to take those burdens off of us, to use our collective power, to get more done, uh, to, to benefit society in ways, uh, like economic, uh, security, things like that. That's the point. But when this organization grows so large that it becomes untenable, like it, there's, there's a trade-off and it's, it's not worth it anymore. It's costing too much to monitor these people. And our solution is to continue spending more than what that product is worth, which is not good economically, or just allow it to do whatever it wants, which is not good for security. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not good for our personal liberty. And that's where we are right now. We're, we're forced to choose between those two things. And it's been that way for a while. Like you, if you hear, you're not going to hear a whole lot of people anymore saying, I vote Republican all the time, or I vote Democrat all the time. What you'll hear is the other side is bad. So I have to vote this way. It's the lesser of the two evils argument. Yeah. And while it may seem that's a facile argument in a lot of ways they're true they're just wrong about what's evil and and what's not right mm-hmm. it's not one political party is better than the other it's that this system is corrupted and small government is the only way to deal with it the end Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big-